Well, good morning, good morning. Great to see you today in the house of the Lord. It's good to be back in the USA. Glad to be home. We had a great uh, mission tour. Uh, bottom line, somebody's already asked about numbers of professions of faith. We had 956 written commitments for people in 10 different concerts, so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, you'll be hearing more about that, I'm sure, in the days ahead. Let's stand together as we begin our time of worship together. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. Church forever, forever. 
I want you to answer this question for me this morning. How long will God be faithful to you? How long will he be with you? Praise be to God. That's the God we serve, the God who is forever and ever the same. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray. God, we are so deeply grateful. God, we're so blessed to be able to sing about your greatness, Lord, your forever greatness. And God, I thank you for the the energy that we feel here today. Lord, we've had an extra hour of sleep. (laughs) And we're thankful, Lord, to come and just give you our very best this morning. And we rejoice in that. God, we give you praise for the good report that Brother Steve has brought. Thank you for being faithful to this missions effort, to Michael God, and and faithful to the Texas Country Boys, and and faithful to see your message go forth, even to all these refugees whose lives have been turned on end. We thank you that you are forever faithful to them. Lord, thank you for protection through the storm that you gave us Friday. Lord, you're forever faithful. God, we thank you today that that we get to be a part of this church, your church. And uh, we just want to give you our best today. Lord, be pleased with what we say and how we sing and how we worship and how we study your word. God, allow your spirit to flow here and let let us allow us to have an encounter with you this morning. God, we give this all to you. We pray this in the powerful name of our forever Savior and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Be seated, church family. It is so good to see you. And isn't that right? We've had an extra hour of sleep. Um, don't you feel even more rested than ever before? Amen. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. I was talking to some of our folks this morning and they said, you know, I thought people would be here early and energetic today because we had that extra hour and people are still dragging in at the same time. But, <laughs> but no, it's great to see you. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. And I've always said for years, I would just like to fall back every Saturday evening. It would be fine with me. It's just, it's just good to have that extra hour. I don't like that it's going to be dark at 6 p.m. now. Um, but I certainly am thankful for the extra hour. If you're our guest today, welcome to First Baptist Church. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, we want you to be welcomed warmly, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to pull a surprise. We're going to run around and greet each other in just a minute, so be ready for that. But if you are our guest, I want you to reach into the pew pocket, grab one of those guest cards, fill that out, drop it in the receptacle out on the landing. We want you to do that. And also, if you would, look in that pew pocket right now and grab this little card. Um, some of these start to look the same over time. We've talked about needs that we have in the bus ministry. We're still trying to get that started. We've talked about needs in the Lord's Supper team. But now I want to talk to you about our media and technology team. Um, some of you are gifted in these areas. Some of you like this kind of thing. And we need people to run lights, to run the computer screens, to run the sound. And if that's something that you've wanted to do and you're interested in doing, uh, we'll train you and get you prepared for that. Uh, we do need more people in that rotation. So if you would take this media tech card, um, fill it out. Some of you are laughing right now saying, you don't want me up there. Um, but some of you are good in this area. And so fill it out, drop it in that same receptacle on the landing and let us know that you want to serve God's church in that way. Um, but I'm excited to be here. I hope you are as well. The sermon today is going to be powerful, I believe. We're talking about the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark chapter 9. And so I'm super excited about that. Let's stand together. Uh, make your way across the aisle and get to a different pew. Find somebody you haven't seen. Make sure every person gets a handshake or a hug.
have a special birthday boy in the house in the in our choir that we're going to sing for here in a moment. Uh, but Bob LeMay is 89 years old today. And he's been in this choir longer than I am old. No, he's been in this choir a long time. But talk about that song we just fa- sang, the word faithful. Bob has been faithful. I've seen him come time and time again when he didn't feel like coming. But he knew that he would feel a whole lot better when he came and sang with his fellow choir members. And he's here this morning. So if you see him today, uh, wish him a happy birthday. But right now, we're going to sing happy birthday to Dr. Bob. Here we go. Happy birthday to
Amen. Let's stand together as we continue our time of worship. Send a great revival. Send a great revival in my soul.
forever through good times and bad. Father, we pray that you would be with us today in this place. We pray for those today that are that are here with burdens, Father, with sorrows. Those that are here that have lost loved ones in recent days. Those that are here that are just battling personal battles. Father, we pray that this time would be a time where we draw close to you, Father. And you take those burdens and you lift them from us. Father, we're grateful to be in your house today to worship you. Father, we lift our pastor to you today as he comes to share the word that you've put on his heart to share with us today. Father, may we be light in darkness. Father, may we carry the gospel out of this building to all of those around us. Father, thank you for an extra hour of sleep last night. Father, bless our time today that when we leave here, we may rejoice, praising you all the day long. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, did you hear the funny story about the skinny teenager named Billy? Uh, Billy was so skinny, he had to run around in the shower just to get wet. And, and young Billy, he got a job at Six Flags Over Texas. Um, but there was a problem. He was to go out and sweep the grounds, but he weighed so little when the Texas wind would blow, he would lose his balance and not be able to do his job. Well, his boss saw exactly what was going on to young Billy, and so he said, Billy, what you need to do is put rocks in your pockets, and that will help you weigh more so that you can be weighed down to sweep the grounds of Six Flags over Texas. And so Billy did exactly what his boss said every morning before he went to work. He would put rocks in his pockets, and it seemed to be working, but Billy was a religious young man. So one morning he was praying this prayer, wait for it, now I weigh me down to sweep. Church family, I'm glad you're here. All right, wake up. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we do have a good time at First Baptist Church. Once again, if you're our guest, we're glad that you came to be with us. I'm glad that Brother Steve is back. It's amazing to me that after all of that singing across the Atlantic, he can come back here and sing that well this morning. But I'm glad that he's home. We are continuing this ongoing sermon series we've been in in Mark's Gospel. And today we arrive at the end of Mark chapter 8, the beginning of Mark chapter 9. And if you want to go ahead and start turning there, that's fine. We'll say quite a bit before we get to the scripture. And I, I want to start off this way today. I want to take you back to Monday night, July the 21st, 1969. Monday night, July the 21st, 1969. Many of you know exactly where you were on this evening because that's the night that astronaut Neil Armstrong stepped onto the surface of the moon. 
It's the night that he proclaimed that's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. Now, I want to take you back there because I want to ask this question. Since that monumental achievement for humanity, I want to ask you this. Has humanity continued to make great leaps forward? Has humankind continued to progress? Have we progressed and made great strides? Well, after Apollo 11, there were six more manned visits to the moon. There would have been seven, but as we know, halfway there, Apollo 13 said, Houston, we have a problem. And today, as we know, NASA can't even now afford to send space shuttles into orbit. Um, add to that the moral advancement, the spiritual advancement, and we have these issues. Four years after the first moon landing, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized the killing of unborn babies. Now, thankfully, that has been rescinded in recent days. But you add to that the fact that now some states are approving and accepting homosexual marriage. In our society today, you know this, drag queens are dancing around in front of children, sometimes even in our schools. Uh, We have militant Muslims still in the world today, extremists all over our world, intent on killing what they call infidels. Uh, We have political division right now in our country that's divided us to depths we haven't seen since the Civil War. And, And so you may be thinking this morning, Pastor, you're painting such a bleak picture, you're trying to make me depressed. Well, no, what I want to do is this. I want to paint a dark background to tell you that still the only hope for this world is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world is getting darker. We feel that. We see that. We know that. And that only makes the brightness of the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus shine even brighter. I find it similar to this. It's just like when a jeweler places diamonds on a piece of dark velvet. It makes the diamonds seem even brighter when they're laid against that dark background. So I say to you today, don't be afraid. Don't be pessimistic. Don't... Um, Don't be downtrodden, but be excited because Jesus Christ is going to come again. Friend, I read the last chapter, we win in the end. Somebody say amen. Now, I'm saying all this because the scripture we've arrived at this morning is connected to that blessed hope. The blessed hope of the return of the Lord Jesus. And this is the account, as I said earlier, of the transfiguration of Jesus. And I'll submit to you right off the top today, the transfiguration is a preview. It's a foretaste of glory divine, a foretaste of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles, if you would, and let's be excited as we dive into Mark chapter 8, verse 38. And we'll read all the way through chapter 9, verse 13. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning as we honor um, God's word today. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 is where we'll begin today. Now, we know when the Bible was first written that these chapter breaks did not occur. And so sometimes I think that the redactors of Scripture have broken Scripture maybe in an ill-advised spot. So we're just going to read right through this chapter break this morning. Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. He was just babbling on, right? Verse number seven. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then it is, written, is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Let's go ahead and be seated. Folks, the transfiguration of Jesus is an important turning point as we study Mark's gospel. It's an important turning point in Christ's ministry, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this very episode. In addition, the transfiguration has been an important part of Christian history, so much so that many religious paintings have been done about it. And I want to show you one of those this morning as we progress. This is Raphael's Transfiguration of Christ. Now, this particular painting, you can see the disciples down front, Jesus, Elijah, Moses above, Peter, James, and John laying down, looking upward. This hangs in the Vatican Museum. Um, it was Raphael's last, and some say his greatest work, but Raphael didn't really want to paint this picture because he was old. He just wanted to retire in peace, but the Pope gave him an order to do so, and he had to comply. Now, interestingly, when you can look at it on your own computer and pull it up and study it better, at the bottom left, you'll see the disciple Judas, who is kind of shrouded in black. He has a striking resemblance to Pope Clement VII, who commissioned Raphael to paint the scene. And many people believe that Raphael got the last word, right? Uh, so what's the purpose of the transfiguration? Well, it's, it's, it was more than just Jesus showing off that he was God in the flesh. This was more than him just taking disciples up to say, hey, look at me and look who I am. There was really an important truth that Jesus was trying to communicate. So in this message today, I want to examine the main truth, and then I want to look at three applications for our lives from this truth. And after all, that's really why we study Scripture. We want to know the truth, and then we want to apply those things to real living. And so here's the main thought of the message, and I think the main purpose of this moment. The transfiguration is a preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The transfiguration is a preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's just dive in here. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? 
Uh, Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's interesting when we ask that. Uh, You could go into society, and here's something I recently found out. In the newspaper industry, the largest headline type is called the second coming text. That's what they call the font, all right? It's called the second coming text. It's reserved only for the mega events in history. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, they used the second coming font. When JFK was assassinated, they used the second coming font. On September the 12th, 2011, the day after 9-11, they used the second coming type for all the headlines. And I think that's fascinating because even a secular field like newspapers recognize there's no bigger news than the second coming of Jesus Christ. And actually take that a step further, according to a Gallup poll, this is very intriguing, 66% of Americans say they believe that Jesus is going to return. Now, get that etched in your mind. 66%. That's 25% more than those who claim they've been saved or born again. One day, the newspapers are going to announce Christ has returned, but trust me, you don't want to be here when those headlines are being read. So, So in our text today... Peter and James and John are given a front row seat to a preview of when Jesus comes again in majesty and glory. And so now there really are three vital applications that we can glean from the transfiguration for our lives. And the first one is this. When we see the glory of Jesus, when you see the glory of Jesus, you'll know who Jesus really is. Let's just start with that. When you see the glory of Jesus Christ, you'll know who he really is. Folks, when Jesus was on the mountain, the Bible says, we just read it, that he was transfigured. Now, the Greek word used there is metamorpho. All right. Now, obviously, that sounds familiar. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, right? It means a change on the outside, which comes from within. When a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, metamorphosis, right, has occurred. So Jesus was changed. He was changed from an ordinary looking man into a figure of light with brilliant beams radiating out from his body. And I can just imagine, I tried to put myself there this week as I thought about this. I can just imagine Peter rubbing his eyes, wondering if he was really seeing what he was seeing, right? But this is an important event because it confirms that Jesus was not merely a man. He was God in the flesh. He was God with skin on. I want you to listen to the way Dr. Kent Hughes described this. He said, for a brief moment, the veil of Jesus' humanity was lifted and his true essence was allowed to shine through. The glory which was always in the depths of his being rose to the surface for this one single time on earth. Or put another way, he slipped back into the eternity to his pre-human glory. It was a glance back and a glance forward into the future glory that shall come. You see, the transfiguration, it's why I titled the sermon this, it was a foretaste of glory divine. Now, the Apostle John never forgot this day. Jesus told them to not say anything about it until he had risen from the dead. John never forgot it. In John, in, in John chapter one, he said, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Peter also wrote about this exact moment. In Second Peter, he said, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. We ourselves heard this voice, Peter wrote, that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Folks, when we see Jesus at his return, he will not be the olive-skinned, Middle Eastern, brown-haired human version who walked the dusty roads of Galilee. No, he'll be the glorified Christ. So I want to ask you today... And I'm not talking about literally with your physical eyes, but deeper than that, have you seen Jesus for who he really is? Have you seen Jesus Christ for who he really is? Friend, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. Somebody say amen. And and if you've never seen Jesus, right, it's time for you to experience him today. Let's move on to the second application First, when you see the glory of Jesus, you'll know who he really is. Now, second, when you understand the return of Jesus, you can be ready. Now, Jesus, as we've already said, was giving those disciples a preview of his return. But we don't know when Christ is coming back, do we? I've been to Christian bookstores over all of these years of my life, Um, 1,990 reasons to believe that Jesus is coming back in 1990. And then two years later, 1,992 reasons to believe that Jesus is coming back in 1992. Throughout throughout history, we've had these religious nuts, right, who claimed that they know the exact day that Christ is coming back. But every one of them has been wrong. And I don't understand that because Jesus himself said what? Even I don't know the day or the hour, only the Father who is in heaven. But Jesus did say this, be ready. He said we ought to be ready, so we have to stay ready, don't we? I've got a question, though, about this text. Why did God send Moses and Elijah to meet Jesus there? Why not Noah? Why not Jonah? Why not Abraham? Why not David? Uh, There could have been many opportunities, many people. And I think once you understand the significance of Moses and Elijah... You'll begin to see why Jesus allowed the disciples to witness this event. You see, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. But but I want to take us even deeper than that. You see, these two represent two categories of faithful people who will be claimed when Jesus comes again. Let's start with Moses. This is going to be really intriguing for you today. Let's think deeply about this. Moses is the forerunner of those who will be raised up. In other words, those who are already dead and buried. The last chapter of Deuteronomy tells us the day that Moses died, that God took him up to a tall mountain and he showed him the promised land. Moses died and it says God buried him and to this day no one knows where his grave is. So now let's get very scholarly for a moment. There's a Jewish rabbinical commentary called the Assumption of Moses, which claims that Moses' corpse was assumed into heaven. Now, we don't know for sure if that happened, but when you jump over to the little book of Jude, which is very uh, at the end of your Bible, you read that the archangel Michael disputed with the devil 
over about the body of Moses. It's in Jude chapter 9. So it's entirely possible, Jude verse 9. So it's entirely possible that Moses was raised. But there he was, right? 1600 years later at the transfiguration talking to Jesus. So now let's make the connection. The Bible says when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. Moses, I think, is representative of those people. All the precious saints who have died. And of all those precious saints, I would imagine we can think of some of those. How many of us have a loved one who have already died and we know they were a believer in Jesus? Perhaps a grandparent, mom, dad, spouse, child. If they knew Jesus, they will rise. And I want you to hear me say this. You'll recognize them. People always want to know this, don't they? Will I recognize my loved ones when we get to heaven? Friends, Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah even though they had never, ever met them in person. I think it's a great indicator for us. Moses is the forerunner of those who will be raised up. Now let's turn to Elijah because it gets even more interesting. Moses, those who will be raised up. Elijah is the forerunner of those who will be caught up. These are the people who will be alive at his coming. Why do I say this? Because Elijah didn't die. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 2 that he was caught up, that's the word that's used, by a chariot of fire. He was taken to heaven in a whirlwind, and that's what's going to happen to those of us who are alive when Jesus comes back. We'll be caught up to heaven. The word there is raptio, we'll be raptured, right? Listen to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. It describes both the Moses group and the Elijah group when Christ returns. Listen, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, die physically, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then Paul goes on to say this, Then will be brought to pass the saying, Death, where is your sting, O grave? Where is your victory? Folks, that's what you're going to be singing. That's what we're going to be singing. Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? That's what Jesus and Moses and Elijah revealed to us on the Mount of Transfiguration. I hope that helps you understand that. When you know, right, and understand the return of Christ, you can be ready. I pray we'll all be ready. Let's, let's go to the third application. The third is this. When you hear the voice of God, you'll focus your life on Jesus. Now, I think it's easy to surmise today that Peter was overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed by seeing the transfiguration and Moses and Elijah that he says this. And I think this is so funny. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? Um, it's the understatement of the millennium, in my opinion. Lord, it's good for us to be here. But here's the problem. I'm afraid that Peter missed the point. What did he say to do? We've got to build three shrines. And we've got to do it right now. One for Moses, one for Jesus, one for Elijah. You see, Peter made the mistake of putting Jesus 
on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Do you know that's exactly what the Muslims do? They say that Jesus was just a prophet like Moses and Elijah. But God clarifies the whole thing. He eliminates that way of thinking. He says in the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And after he said that, Peter looked up and Moses and Elijah are gone. Only Jesus was there. I don't oftentimes quote the King James Version, so for you King James lovers, this is your big moment, okay? I love the way the King James Version gives us Mark chapter 9, verse 8. Listen to this. When they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only. Let's focus on those last two words. Jesus only. You know, if, if we had to summarize God's plan for the ages, we could do it in two words. Jesus only. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Confucius. It's Jesus only. The way to get to heaven isn't by good works or baptism or religion. It's Jesus only. How about creation? It's not the Big Bang Theory. It's not evolution. It's not just left to chance. No, it's Jesus only. The way you ought to vote in political races is not partisan, Republican, or Democrat. It's Jesus only. The Bible says all things were created by Him and for Him and to Him. Friends, let's say it together. It's Jesus only. Friend, the world is not getting any better. The world is getting way worse and way darker, and we're not going to improve ourselves out of this politicized, polarized, sinful, awful, conflicting, amoral, selfish, sick, perverted mess. Our only hope is Jesus Christ only. So let's close with the title of this sermon. It was given to us by the late Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby lived most of her life in blindness. If you know her story, you know that she is well worth remembering. She wasn't bitter about being blind, and she often boasted in her life that she loved it because the first person that she would ever see would be her Savior's face. She wrote over 9,000 songs and poems. But her best, most people say, and I agree, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.